We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 69. Our guest today is the beauty and the brains behind the Equestrian Businesswoman Summit, as well as Jump Media LLC. She has become a total powerhouse in the equestrian marketing niche of the industry. And so I was so excited to have her on to talk about the nitty gritty of equestrian business marketing and get a deep dive into the Equestrian Businesswoman Summit, which I was able to go to as a panelist in 2019. So excited when we can meet again in person and have another summit. So here to talk about all these things things today. Here is Jen Wood. So would love to talk to you. Jump Media, Jen Wood Media. I mean, you are everywhere. Anywhere where I go, I see stuff about you. And especially last year, was able to attend your Equestrian Businesswoman Summit, which was amazing. So would love to talk to you about all of those things. But first, we'd like to see you at your core, bring it back to the beginning and how you got started in the equestrian world and how you got started riding, all that good stuff. Oh boy, that was a long time ago. (laughs) I started riding when I was seven. My family had no history in horses at all. I just saw an ad in a newspaper for riding lessons at a local barn and pastored my parents to let me try it. Uh, and went out there and took lessons for a couple of years. And I think my parents noticed a lot more interest and obsession, I guess, <laughs> in it. So they were, they're amazing parents and very, very supportive. So I got a pony when I was nine. He was a great pony. And it kind of just went from there. We kind of got into the showing and this was in Chicago in the nineties, early nineties. So back then they had a really, really strong B circuit there. I mean, excellent shows, really strong participation in it. So I showed on the B circuit mostly with my pony, ended up getting a young horse. We kind of broke her when she was two. She was an appendix, uh, quarter horse and I kind of just brought her along and we learned together and moved up my last couple years to the A circuit and did the junior hunters and she was my equitation horse and she ended up being a really nice hunter. We went to Devon and Washington and so yeah I mean she was a little quarter horse that cost six thousand dollars and went to the big shows. you know, we jogged a few times. We weren't like winning at indoors or anything, but it was a really good experience and led me to to have a life of horses. Yeah, that's amazing. Did you show in the ledges or lamplight shows? Oh, yeah. okay. I lived at ledges and lamplight. Like oh, I never good. went to Florida as a kid. Yeah. I think my last junior year actually I was trying to qualify for Metal McClay finals, which I never did, but I got to go show in Tampa back when WEF went from Wellington and then it had weeks in Tampa. So Mm -hmm. I got to show there on my spring break and that was huge uh, (laughs) for me, but, but yeah, otherwise it was ledges every winter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
That's so funny. I grew up in uh, southeastern Wisconsin. So the like ledges, lamplight, like Traverse City, like that whole neck of the woods was me too. (laughs) Burnham Woods and Mm -hmm. Canterbury Farm. Yeah. Yeah, there were lots there. Mm -hmm. Those were the days. So yeah, so you were growing up, riding, riding what you could, making the most of it, and and obviously being able to have opportunities to go to some like really great shows. At what point did you decide that you wanted some sort of horse idea within your professional career? Did you go to college and take a little break from that? What did that look like? I think as a growing up as a kid, when you have all the big dreams of riding professionally and being a trainer or something to that extent, that's what I thought of my entire junior career. That's where I saw myself. And I went to college to get a business degree. And my parents were very adamant that education was going to come first, but I kind of choose the school based on the riding team. I knew I wanted to do collegiate riding. And I looked at a bunch of the great programs at smaller private colleges like Hollins and Hollins was really where I wanted to go. But then I ended up looking at University of South Carolina. And that was the year before I went there, they had started the varsity program. So my class was kind of the full, the first full class to go varsity. And at that time they didn't have scholarships for riding. So I got a educational scholarship rather than a sports scholarship, but they paid for everything else, which was great. It was added because of title nine to their program to kind of balance what they spent on football and basketball and (laughs) other big male sports. Mm -hmm. And it was an all female team. So at that point it was still IHSA and it was the best experience. I loved the school. I made lifelong friends. It was really incredible. And I think the team really taught me a lot because I'd never done anything like that really. I mean, even in high school sport, like I ran track and cross country, but I was never really on a team sport. So it was something different. What did you find was some big differences between your knowledge base for riding before college and then what you learned being on a collegiate team? I think I did some catch riding when I was a junior, you know, but I didn't have a ton of experience just getting on a horse and and going in the ring, exactly what intercollegiate is. So I think that ability to adapt really quickly when you're riding to whatever horse you're on is something you have to learn quick if you're going to be any good. So that's something that I learned. You know, I think I was a fairly strong rider coming into it, but Mm -hmm. I definitely improved through that because, you know, some of those horses that are on the team are not the easiest. Yeah why they're donated, right? You yep. know, not the best show horses or they can't stay sound without some help. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we had some very sweet horses, but they definitely weren't the most made things uh, right. that you're going to get on in your life. So. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it teaches you something every time. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's what I learned the most. And then just being part of a team unit and thinking about the other people that you're riding for and representing your school. At that time, well, with the IHSA structure, we had walk trot through open. Mm-hmm. So 
I was an open rider, but, you know, we were always helping find girls at school that had maybe ridden horses before, but had never done anything. We need you. You need to be a walk trot rider, you know, recruiting girls and being on the rail and helping them and helping during practices and things like that. So I did learn a lot that way as well. Awesome. So you graduated college with a degree in business. Yeah. Marketing. Um, Marketing. And then what happened after that? 9-11 happened Mm. and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was bartending and working at a restaurant and also working at a mobile tech shop because I thought I wanted to go to law school or grad school. So I studied for the LSAT all summer, took the LSAT, applied to a few law schools, didn't get in. (laughs) I didn't study all that hard. (laughs) And so at that point, I was like, all right, well, what am I going to do? So I had the opportunity to go down to Wellington for the first time and work. So I went and groomed for Haven's shot. She's a top hunter rider. And after that, I took another grooming job and a barn management job for a private amateur in Sarasota, Florida. So I was there for a little while, met my husband there, actually, in Sarasota. And then I got a job grooming for Ann Krasinski and spent time at her farm in New Jersey and then back in Wellington, you know, and that's where I learned more of the jumper side of things. Cool. I'd always grown up doing hunters and equitation and in Anne's barn, you know, I did FEI horses and was at the Grand Prix ring and that was really exciting. Yeah. And then at that point, my boyfriend was at the time was based in Wellington. So I wanted to stay in Wellington. They were going back up to New Jersey. So Margie Engel was looking for someone to stay at her farm nice. during the summer. So I worked for her, which was really cool because I mean, she took all the big horses and went to shows and I stayed home and worked with babies, which was really cool. And I wow. never did She had a yearling and a two-year-old that I got to work with. And I got to stay home through two hurricanes, which was oh, gosh. really awesome. Um, <laughs> were either of them involving you having to like evacuate them or anything like that? Or did you no. hunker down? Hunker down because wow. her barn was cement block uh, okay. and it was mostly empty. I think I there were maybe five or six horses there. Mm-hmm. So we actually became a place where other people came to yeah. stay in because, you know, they were in a pole barn or something. Right. And the power went out for at least two weeks. It was out. Wow. They were on a well and the well is powered by a pump. And oh so gosh. <laughs> it was like taking garbage cans and going to her yeah. house. In town and filling the garbage cans of water so we could water the horses and it was crazy wow. something us midwesterners never thought we'd be going through <laughs> but right? here we are <laughs> i was like i'm used to tornadoes yeah hurricanes are a bit different <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly wow so you've had a lot of amazing experience with some really great professionals in the industry mm-hmm. and obviously learned a ton in that regard at that point were you still considering having your own program being a trainer being a rider what was going through your head at that point in time i think at that point i realized that it probably wasn't for me i think it's good that i did and that i was a little self-aware in my early 20s or self-aware enough to realize, you know, I probably, it probably wouldn't be the best thing for me. Hmm. 
So that's that fall after working at Margie's was when Phelps Media Group had just kind of started up. And I was like, well, I have a marketing degree. I could do that. (laughs) It kind of combines all the things. Yeah. I was like, well, that would be kind of cool if I could do something using my education and be at horse shows, but not be working 16 hour days and cleaning 20 stalls and wearing myself out. So, I mean, I give all credit in the world to people who are grooms and barn managers because it's a very, very hard job. You you hear people who have been doing it for decades and it's like, how, how? (laughs) They're amazing. They really are. It takes a special kind of person to do that. Absolutely. So yeah. And that's when I kind of got into more of the PR marketing. Cool. So what was your original position at Phelps Media? Account executive. So coming in and learning understanding all the nuances of different clients and what they need and how to write a press release versus how to write an editorial mm-hmm. story. We didn't have social media back then. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, what was your main what were your main focuses? I did a lot of work at horse shows, so writing competition coverage press releases. I traveled a lot yeah. in those years, but I also got a lot of incredible opportunities. You know, they started the Phelps Sports website, so that covered more than just clients. So I traveled for that as well. And you know, I got to go to World Cup finals all wow. over the world. And I went to Aachen for the WEG and nice. to Hong Kong for the Olympics. So it was a huge learning experience. Yeah. yeah, lots of travel, but the experiences are probably things that you still think about and utilize in your day-to-day life now. Yeah, it was worth it. You know, at that point I didn't have kids and my husband was really understanding about travel and he knew Mm -hmm. that I enjoyed it and it was more than just a job for me. Right. Totally. That's so cool. So then you worked for Phelps uh, for how long? Five years. And then at that point, did you start Genwood Media? Yep. Right at the very end of 2009. So basically like January, 2010 was when I went on my own. And at that point, the Winter Equestrian Festival was looking for a press officer and someone to do all of their media and communications. So the timing was perfect. And wow. I had a meeting with Michael Stone and it kind of went from there. <laughs> wow. Quite the first client to have. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So then that was in 2010. At that point, I'm trying to even think what was around in 2010. I mean, was Instagram not a thing yet? Right now, it was, we were starting Facebook, Twitter was big, but the horse, at least hunter jumper industry has never Mm -hmm. been on Twitter. Um, Definitely Facebook. As I was kind of transitioning out of PMG, the last year I was there, I was pushing for all of our clients to start business pages. Wow. Now I was like, this is it. Like, this is where you need to be. So that was something that I brought into my own business and advising clients on that. Okay, hold that thought because I would love to take a minute to talk to you about our sponsor today. Are you familiar with the Tack Hack? Think of it as a Nordstrom rack for equestrians. Shop thetackhack.com for your favorite premium tack and riding apparel brands at discounted prices. Interested in saddle consignment? The Tack Hack also offers a minimum of 70% commission on your premium jumping or dressage saddles, plus your saddle ships to them for free. And attention listeners, 
take advantage of this special podcast discount code, you can enjoy an additional 20% off your next purchase with code podcast. Limit is one time per customer and sorry guys, that code excludes saddles. Head over to their website at thetackhack.com and take advantage of the deals. The Tack Hack, the sport you love for less. Thank you, Tack Hack. Okay, let's head back to the episode. Phelps Media has always been such a powerhouse as far as media goes in the industry. When you were working with them and then through the transition of creating your own company, what were some areas that you noticed were maybe not as prevalent in the equestrian industry that you wanted to create within your own company? Hmm. What I saw, and I think what's kind of become my strength is really looking towards how other sports handle media. That's something that I've always done. I've always looked at tennis and golf and even the major sports as to how do they run a press room? How do they do press conferences? How do they handle social media, websites, things like that? So I think that's something that I've always tried to do is be really hands-on and flexible and accommodating. And this is really pertaining just to events themselves, but, you know, running a really good press room, I think Mm -hmm. is something that, you know, had always been done well at big events, like Marty Bowman's always done World Cup finals and Kentucky three day. And, you know, some of the smaller horse shows maybe didn't have that as much. So yeah, I think just trying to keep improving and, and I've always tried to really be a good advocate for the sport when it comes to mainstream media. And I think WEF gave me a lot of that experience because it's more than just the equestrian media that comes there. You know, it's a lot of mainstream people wanting to cover and being able to explain the sport simply to someone who doesn't understand it and to talk about who the personalities are and who the top horses and that sort of thing. And what's the best way for them to get good photos or how can they frame their questions better, anything like that to, to really put the sport in the best light to people who are broadcasting it around the world. Definitely. What would you say is something that would hold back mainstream media from including more equestrian sport? I think a lot of people don't realize how easy access there is at horse shows. Yeah. I mean, it's for the most part, it's really simple to to come to a horse show and cover it. And most horse shows would love to have mainstream media there and covering them. So I think just getting the word out that they're welcome and we want coverage, we want good, fair coverage of Mm -hmm. the sport. I think that's probably one of the blocks to getting things like that. We've always, at the big events, there's always been good coverage. There used to be a lot of more television coverage for things Mm -hmm. back when there were major sponsors that were paying for it. But I still think there's so much opportunity either through social media or live streaming. And Mm -hmm. that's something that a lot of shows have taken advantage of now. Yeah, that's so cool. And obviously we might be a little biased, but whenever I see it on, I've seen it on in airports or restaurants or bars. Mm -hmm. And I love to just kind of sit back and watch non-equestrians and their reaction. And 
people always seem so intrigued by it. I feel yeah. like it'd be so cool if it was a little bit more mainstream. And you're right. It's not hard to just pop into WEF and and right. cover some of that content. And it's it's a super interesting sport that I feel yeah. like doesn't get uh, publicized as much as it should. Yeah. And I think you know, if we're strictly talking about the high level, high performance jumpers, I don't think most people realize what goes into it and how incredible it is to watch live. Oh, yeah. um, maybe that isn't always captured on something like broadcast, but mm-hmm. in person, I feel like if you can get somebody there ringside, see how big the jumps are, see how fast they go, right. how much effort it takes and how intricate it is people can really appreciate it once they see it in person. Totally agree. So you still have Jen Wood Media because you still have a few clients there, but you also have Jump Media. And tell me a little bit about the difference between the two, how you got into Jump Media and how that transition was. Yeah. In 2014, my friend Jennifer Ward and I (laughs) (laughs) were talking and she's based in Canada and does the exact same thing that I do. And she's, she's done a lot throughout Canada. She's Eric Lamaze's publicist. She was the press officer for the Pan American Games. You know, she has a ton of experience and we just kept talking about our businesses and the the things that we wish we could do. And, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we could just partner together and share resources? And we kind of just kept talking, kept talking. We're like, well, why don't we just try it and see what happens? So we launched Jump Media in April of 2015. And each of our clients from she has starting gate communications. I had Genwood Media. We had clients from each that went into Jump Media. Hmm. And it's just grown from there. And we have usually anywhere from 20 to 25 clients at a wow. time, depending on what horse shows are going. And a great variety, which is really cool. We've gotten a lot of experience of throughout every type of business in the industry. And we work really well together. She has strengths that I don't have that I rely on. And now we have five full-time employees besides the two of us. So it's been a really cool way to partner together and be able to grow more than I think we ever could have by ourselves. Yeah. I was going to say 25 clients. I mean, even with five employees and the two of you, that's still a lot of hours. Right. (laughs) So cool. Yeah. When you're talking about horse shows too, everyone knows it's not a nine to five Monday through Friday job. Mm -hmm. And and PR, I don't think ever is, no matter yeah what type of clients you have. So right, right, um, definitely. So you recently had a baby. Yeah, my second. Mm-hmm. Amazing. How has that changed your day to day work life? Ugh, it's made it really hard. I did not think it would be this hard. I don't think mm-hmm. after I had my son, actually in July twenty fifth, twenty fifteen, which was another great thing of having Jump Media because. I had someone who could run the business while I was on. Right. Uh, this is the other thing that having babies does. It steals all of your brain cells. Maternity leave. Thank you. <laughs> wow. The second one is even worse. Uh, uh, and yeah, this time around, it's a lot of juggling time. And, you know, I said I was going to take three months off and I definitely didn't. I was still 
answering emails all the time. And I think I waited like two and a half months before I got on our weekly company call. But, and then, you know, WEP started. So I did not go down full time this winter, but I was still proofing every press release before it went out and doing the weekly newsletters and that sort of thing. So, okay. It's just twice as much and Mm -hmm. I love it, but it's definitely hard mm-hmm. when you own your own business. I don't feel like I can just completely shut off and, and not do anything or not look at emails or not answer phone calls. So mm-hmm. when you're in a business with so much um, direct contact needed, and mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of stuff is quick changes and quick adjustments and things like that. It seems like there's a constant line of communication with you and your clients, I'm sure. Yeah. And I like to think that the clients always know they can contact me. You know, we have account managers who are amazing and they do a great job, but I also feel like part of the reason that these clients come to Jump Media is because they know me or Jen and they want us to be present and and be a part of the work that's done for them. So Mm -hmm, absolutely. Would you say there's an area of the industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the industry either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk much about? Well, given what's happening with the pandemic and looking at so many people who are now struggling, I do feel like there are facets of the industry who get not forgotten, but I think it's much harder for them. I don't know that there's a ton of infrastructure for Mm. people. And I think there are, I don't know what the percentage would be even in our industry of people who are just contract workers. There are no protections or safety net for them. Mm. They have to do it themselves, whether it's through saving money and, and investing and you know, buying their own health insurance and all of that, I think it would be cool to, and I don't know where it would come from, whether it's a federation thing or a new entity, but I think it would be nice to see if there was a way to provide more for grooms. I can tell you a lot of grooms that get hurt and get sick and they never go to the doctor and they Mm -hmm. never go to the hospital because they can't afford it. Right. And I think with the amount of money in our industry, there could be a better way to help them. I was in the same situation and having to get emergency surgery when I was a groom. Um, wow. And I just dropped health insurance. Of course. Yeah. Because <laughs> I like I was on COBRA for my parents' insurance till you're what, like 24, 25 or something. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, eh, I'll be fine without it. And uh-huh. then I had to go into the hospital and I oh remember I I drove myself to the hospital because I didn't want to pay for an ambulance ride. Oh. <laughs> and then I ended up like negotiating with the hospital to take 50% off the bill because mm-hmm. I could show that I didn't make very much money as a groom. So they cut the bill in half for me. Wow. But it still took me years to pay off. Yeah. It's just the idea that there are people in our industry that have to live with that kind of uncertainty. And mm-hmm. no matter what, no matter if there's a pandemic or if they get you know laid off or if plans change that are completely out of their control mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're left with 
nothing and having to scramble to find other work or other situations. It'd be really nice if there was some sort of resource or program or something that, and not just grooms, obviously, braiders and all the people in the industry that make the industry go round that they could have a place or a resource to be able to to find those things. And there's great things like Equestrian Aid Foundation. Mm -hmm. There's things like that for people who maybe have catastrophic events happen or they've found themselves where they can't work anymore and they do incredible things to help people. But I think more industry-wide program of some sort could be cool to set up. And maybe there is something and I just don't know about it. Yeah, I know USEF recently added their insurance addition to a membership. So that's really cool, especially for this time. Things like that, at least that the industry is seeing that need and moving towards something like that. But yeah, it's definitely an area where just the general idea that it takes every single person in the industry to make it a success and Mm -hmm. that no role isn't more important or needed more than the others. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. It talks about their team. It's the yeah. team that gets us to the ring. It's the team that gets us to the podium. And I think there's a lot of people out there who don't support the team as well as others do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Totally. Well, and whenever people say that, it's so true. And being a part of any sort of team, you see that and you see how, oh, if this horse doesn't get this treatment or this exercise beforehand or this program or, you know, anything that any of those things don't happen, uh, the right shoes, the right whatever, it's not, the performance is just not going to be up to par. So yeah, the team effort is definitely a big thing for sure. Okay, so you are also the brains behind Equestrian Businesswomen. I loved going to the summit last year and would love to hear about the brains behind the operation because it's definitely something that was needed in the equestrian world. And I know so many people were so excited to be a part of it and to be at this first gathering. So tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, it was something I started thinking about a few years ago. I you know, had thought when I started my own business, I I wanted to find a mentor and I didn't know how to, or, you know, where to go or who to ask or what that relationship should look like, especially if it was someone within the equestrian industry. And then kind of started thinking more like, well, wouldn't it be cool if we could just have a meeting of people to network and to get to know each other and support each other and ask advice and, It kind of grew into this idea for the summit that we had in January 2019, and it was a really successful event. It far exceeded my expectations in terms of the people that we had there and the atmosphere and, you know, all of the connections that came out of it. And I think that's something that I am taking and trying to grow and be able to offer a lot of more opportunities for people in the future. I got a little sidelined by having a baby, (laughs) but we had big plans for the next summit and it was supposed to be April 14th and 15th in Las Vegas before World Cup finals. And obviously that had to be canceled. So Mm. we are exploring other options for 2020 and then another big in-person event in 2021. 
Amazing. For those listeners who did not experience the summit firsthand, tell me a little bit about what it was made up of, what some of the events were, what did it all involve? Yeah. So it was one day and it was running concurrently with the U.S. Equestrian Annual Meeting in West Palm Beach, which I chose mainly because it was really easy for me to be there. I was in Wellington and I wanted to kind of capture people coming in for the annual meeting that might not otherwise travel for an event. I know there's a big built-in community of horse people in South Florida, but I also wanted to kind of get people that don't live there and that aren't involved strictly in those disciplines. And that was something that from the start, I always really wanted to make it open for everyone, no matter what part of the industry they're in, you know, if they ride Western or if they're in thoroughbred racing or polo or the FEI disciplines. And I think we achieved that to some extent. We had five panels of speakers. We had a keynote, a motivational speaker and a networking lunch. So I wanted to address topics for businesswomen to help them not only professionally and, and with their business, but personally. So we had one about work-life balance. And I think it was just really cool to listen to women talk about their own experiences and you know, just that part of, oh, someone's going through what I'm going through, or they've been through it and how they made it through to the other side in every way personally and professionally. It was just a really great event for people to make those connections and feel like they're part of a community, no matter what type of horse they ride. We had women there who, there was actually a teenage girl there because she's got like a growing little business that she started herself all the way to, you know, women in their mid sixties who were retired, but then they started another job or they started a a small business of their own and, you know, high powered executives that I wanted to bring in to talk about more of their corporate experience, but they could connect it because they rode horses and they Mm -hmm. understand the industry. Yeah. It was just a really great day. And I think something that we're trying to grow. Yeah, I think that from my standpoint attending, one of my favorite takeaways from the event was that I felt like it was so cool listening to everyone else talk and these thoughts and maybe frustrations or things that you've gone through within my own equestrian business. It was so relatable. Like everything people said, it was like, me too, me too. I totally agree. And something that up until really, in my opinion, this event, there wasn't really anything else out there where you could talk to other mainstream business women and they would have something to say and it would kind of be related, but not a hundred percent, but it was cool to be in a room of a bunch of other women who almost everything you had to say was relatable. So it was a really great event that you put on. I loved it. I can't wait for the next one. Thank you. Yeah. I think it'll be really cool to keep offering that experience. And there's so much available now on the internet in terms of events or helping your business or YouTube videos or whatever it may be that you can do to help improve yourself or your business. But I think it always makes it a lot more interesting and it sticks better. And you can, like you said, you can relate better if it's people that understand 
what you're going through, who know our weird little niche industry Mm -hmm. and (laughs) can understand. And I think what was so nice about everyone that spoke uh, at the summit was their honesty and they were so willing to share parts of what they do for their business or their personal lives that it really made it special. Mm -hmm. Totally. I agree. Looking forward to hopefully 2020, but if not 2021 for the next one, it should be great. And it sounds like it totally exceeded your expectations. So, I mean, it's going to just get better and better. So that's an exciting, exciting thing for sure. Yeah. Well, Jen, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. It was great chatting with you and through everything going on, I wish you all the best. Yep. Same to you. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.